Can I ask you guys a question? Uh-uh. No? We get recorded? No. That's yeah. a camera, yeah? Oh, no, it's no. not a camera. It's just... Tell them I'm, I'm oh, working... I'm, I'm working hard. <laughs> Today, Explain producer Victoria Chamberlain went creeping around a Safeway supermarket in Washington, D.C. yesterday, asking employees and shoppers a question. Do you know who owns your local grocery store? The employees couldn't talk. The shoppers could. Victoria asked locals. Do you know who owns Safeway stores? Do you know the name of the company? I don't know. No, I don't know at all. And visitors. A conglomerate, which pays me off because your fuel, your grog, and your food are all owned by the same company. People understand their local grocery store is part of a much bigger chain. But now, two of the biggest chains want to become one. What that means for you, your choices, and your wallet. Coming up on Today Explained. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. It's Today Explained. I'm Noel King. Ron Knox is a senior researcher and writer at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And we called him up to explain this proposed supermarket supermerger. Supermarket chain Kroger announced that it wants to buy its rival Albertsons for about $25 billion. Experts say the merger would give both companies more buying power, allowing them to be more competitive with Walmart. As part of the deal, Albertsons will pay a special cash dividend up to $4 billion to its shareholders on record as of October 24th. Uh, we will invest uh, half a billion dollars or $500 million in lower prices for customers. That merger would combine the largest and the fourth largest grocery store chains in the country. Um, Kroger, again, largest full-service grocery chain in the U.S. It's second only to Walmart in terms of grocery sales. These name brands, you know, these are like the corporate names of these companies. They might not be that familiar to your listeners, but uh, through a series of other mergers and industry consolidation over the last few decades, these companies own a bunch of other name brand supermarket chains around the country. So you might not have heard of Albertsons, but you might have heard of Safeway, for example. Um, you might have heard of Jewel Osco. You might have heard of Acme Markets, which is really big in the northeast of the country. And then for Kroger, Dillon's, Fred Meyer's. Food for Less, Harris Teeter, Mariano's, QFC, Ralph's, Ruler Foods, Smith, Vitacoast, Fry's, Home Chef, King Supers. There might be others. It's a big deal. 
what are Kroger and Albertsons saying about this merger? Why do, why do they say what they want to do it? They're basically saying what a lot of companies say when they propose these kinds of mergers. They're saying that they're going to be able to save a lot of money and that they are going to take that savings and they're going to pass it on to consumers in the form of lower prices and they're going to be able to reinvest in the stores and and so on. How does this save them money? Well, let's say you have a, you know, a city where you have um, some Kroger-owned stores and some Albertsons own stores. The companies merge. They probably don't need both of those stores. Uh, having all that additional overhead is going to cut into, you know, to profits and to the bottom line. So the companies tend to uh, to close those stores, uh, lay off those workers who were at those stores, and save money that way. We're all dealing with inflation right now. When I go to my Safeway, which is owned by Albertsons, I know that I'm paying more for groceries than I was a year ago, 18 months ago. Why is that happening? So first, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the the producer price index, which is how they measure the cost of growing crops and raising cows and chickens and so on. Those things do fluctuate, and, and they have been fluctuating. But the other thing that's happening is that we've seen a significant increase in corporate profits, particularly for these chains. Speaking of inflation, some companies see it as a threat to their business, but the Kroger company, well, they're treating it like a competitive advantage. The Cincinnati-based grocery chain saw a 10% jump in its stock price today after telling investors it's growing by helping customers balance their budgets. A little bit of inflation is always good in our business. Kroger's profits grew nearly 14% over the last year. That's, you know, that's not revenue, that's profit. And what it did with that money is that it offered its shareholders a 24% increase in dividends. Uh, and it bought back about a billion dollars worth of its own stock. So those higher prices, again, the, you know, kind of the two things that's happening there. Fluctuation in prices for the stuff that sits on supermarket shelves. But then there's also this increase uh, in corporate profits, which is um, just padding the bottom line of these stores. There is an argument if we don't grow, we will be subsumed by Amazon. We've already been subsumed by Walmart. Are you at all sympathetic to the argument that like growth at this point is merge or become obsolete? Because our competitors are going to grow. Uh, look, I understand. And I and I definitely understand the company's desire to increase their bargaining power when it comes to negotiations with their suppliers. They would love to pay less for things. The problem is, is in the assumption that these massive supermarket chains, these national chains, are somehow struggling to survive and, and are having a hard time keeping their, you know, their doors open. That's really not what's happening. And you can see that from their bottom lines, um, you know, from, you know, from their profits. The idea that these companies have to merge to survive um, is really undercut by the reality that you see in the marketplace. All right. So Kroger and Albertsons own a lot of stores in the United States. Do you know how much of the country they're in? Like if I looked at a map and I could see Kroger, Albertsons and every store that Kroger or Albertsons own, what would I be seeing? Well, between the stores and their you know, warehouse facilities and others, they're in almost the entire country, 48 states plus Washington, D.C. And combined, they have more than 700,000 workers in those facilities. 700,000 workers. How many stores? Almost 5,000 stores. (laughs) 
almost 5,000 stores and almost 700,000 employees. All right. So when uh, when news of a merger comes, the, the people who are most likely to be nervous about it are the employees. 700,000 people got the news or heard the news that their employers are combining. Are those workers in unions? Some are and some aren't. Much of the Albertsons network of stores are unionized, but some of the Kroger stores are not. So Hmm. uh, a big example of that uh, is Harris Teeter in the Washington, D.C. area. When Kroger bought the Harris Teeter uh, franchise, they bought those stores as non-union stores. And since then, Harris Teeter has been very, very resistant to unionization, and they're still a non-union shop. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Do we know what the employees are saying? I imagine this probably came as something of a surprise to them. The employees are worried. A few years back, there was a merger between Safeway and Albertsons. That's how Albertsons came to acquire the Safeway network. And since that merger, those companies have closed 170 stores. That's a lot of layoffs. Uh, That's a lot of union jobs lost. So employees are worried and Some of the affected locals of the United Food and Commercial Workers, which is the union that organizes supermarket employees, uh, they are very concerned as well. And and in some ways, they're resisting this merger. Tom Geiger with UFCW 3000 says they've been opposed to the merger from the get-go, which is why they've partnered with other unions in the area to stop this altogether. People that, um, you know, are having a hard time paying for food themselves, honestly, seeing uh, the companies that they work for giving away billions to uh, shareholders is not not well received. When is this deal supposed to take place? You know, the companies say it's scheduled to close. They hope to close it by 2024, but it's going to face some significant scrutiny from the Federal Trade Commission before that can happen. And on the face of it, this is being done in part to lower prices for consumers, consumers who at this point in history are very concerned about inflation. Is it going to do that? Is my is my grocery bill going to be less? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's a it, it's an interesting claim that the companies have made, right? If they wanted to lower prices to consumers, they could just do it. Because they, you know, they don't need to offer these, um, you know, these dividends. They don't need to buy back their own stocks. They could lower prices on the shelves if it wanted to eat into some of those profits. And, and, and it hasn't done that. These mergers happen all the time, and not just in the retail sector, not just in supermarkets. But there are many, many instances of these mergers where, in order to get the deal done, the companies say, "Look, we're going to lower prices. You're going to end up, you know, consumers are going to be better off if this deal happens." Then the deal happens, and those price savings never actually occur. And what's more, often prices go up, which is actually the natural thing that you would expect to happen when a company increases its power in the market and is able to essentially charge whatever it wants to charge for things because shoppers have fewer choices out there. The real danger is that you end up with this extremely consolidated grocery sector where you have one or two stores in a lot of places around the country and these inflationary pressures that we're all having to deal with, we're all paying more for the stuff we need at the supermarket, those actually increase because these companies end up with even more power to charge whatever they want for the things that sit on their shelves. That's the real danger.
Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile. Big improvements can make your past behavior look absolutely wild, says Mint Mobile, targeting all of us personally. And Mint Mobile wants to do that with your phone bill. Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. And in retrospect, you might feel a little silly about how much you were paying before. Plus, according to Mint Mobile, all of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's biggest 5G network. You can get this new customer offer and your three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month by going to mintmobile.com explained. That's mintmobile.com explained. You can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. $45 upfront payment required. Do the math. That's equivalent to $15 a month. This is for new customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower, above 40 gigabytes on this unlimited plan. And additional taxes, fees, and restrictions do apply. See Mint Mobile for those details. Support for Today Explained comes from Ramp. This ad goes out to all the finance professionals looking for love. I'm just kidding. Looking for a better way to simplify business finance across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting. And to all the accountants tired of the same old finance software, Ramp may be the answer you've been looking for. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. So what does that mean? Well, according to Ramp, they give finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. Issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions. Automate expense reporting so you don't waste time. Ramp says its accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so that you don't have to. That could put an end to chasing down receipts and to your employees spending hours submitting expense reports. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions do apply. We're back with Ron Knox. He's a senior researcher and writer at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And Ron, you also host a podcast. What is it called? Uh, It's called the Anti-Monopoly Happy Hour. Yo, welcome back. Welcome back to the Anti-Monopoly Happy Hour. I'm your host, Ron Knox, senior researcher at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, your friendly neighborhood monopoly crusher. When we left off uh, a minute ago, you seem to be suggesting that even though Kroger and Albertsons are telling us, hey, consumers, you've been dealing with inflation, this is going to mean lower prices, you don't actually believe that's true. What do you think is going to happen and why? Well, I think if this deal is allowed to go through, it's going to give this combined mega chain of supermarkets power essentially on both sides of its ledger to affect prices however it wants. So the two sides are prices that it can charge for the things on its shelves that it sells to people. 
with fewer supermarkets to offer competition on price, not only price, but on on quality, on innovation, on service, and so on. It's going to be able to do essentially what it wants, especially in parts of the country where there isn't a lot of other supermarket competition. And then the other side of its ledger is that it's going to be able to push down the prices that it can charge to its suppliers, brands that sell everything from cereal to laundry detergent to beer, you know, and so on, all the things that you can find in most grocery stores. So that's actually what's going to happen. This isn't just a prediction with, you know, with nothing behind it. These mergers have been studied for a long time. Fifteen years ago or so, the government allowed a merger between Whirlpool and Maytag. These are obviously two massive appliance manufacturers. And the companies got this deal through by saying, oh, it's going to save a bunch of money because it was going to cut out these overlaps and it was going to pass those savings on to consumers. Pretty much the same argument. So what happened? The two companies did save a lot of money because they closed factories all over the country and never reopened them. Today's announcement by Whirlpool that it's closing a plant in Arkansas and eliminating 5,000 jobs was eerily familiar news for the people of Evansville, Indiana. Laying off, you know, thousands of workers, a lot of those were good middle-class union jobs. What happened to the prices? Researchers looked at the prices of the appliances that these two companies sold and found out that they had actually gone up after the merger. The prices of dryers in particular had increased pretty drastically. There's another example just a few years ago when AT&T was allowed to buy Time Warner after uh, the government tried to, to, you know, to challenge that deal and failed in court. The companies told the judge in court that they were going to lower prices for consumers. What actually happened was after that deal closed, just a few weeks later, they increased prices across the board. They cut out free HBO to their mobile subscribers. And they made other changes that essentially served to pad its bottom line, make more money, and exert that new power they had in the marketplace. So again, this is not theoretical stuff. This is the kind of thing that happens when these big mergers are allowed to happen. In order for this deal to go through, somebody has to approve it, even as people like you are expressing disapproval. Whose court is this in now? This merger is going to be reviewed more than likely by the Federal Trade Commission, which is one of our two antitrust law enforcers and regulators, along with the Department of Justice. The FTC does retail supermarkets. That's kind of part of their remit. And they've analyzed every big supermarket merger for the last, you know, 40 years or so, and they'll continue to do so here. The FTC never seems to say no. That's why there's a CVS on every corner, right? Or like a Walgreens on every corner. What has been going on at the FTC for the past generation or so? The Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice have embraced this philosophy where if you propose a merger, that merger is objectively anti-competitive on its face. That is, it's going to drastically increase concentration. You're going to end up with fewer stores. Um, you're going to end up with higher prices, all these, other, all these other things. The agencies have allowed those if the merging companies can propose what we call a divestiture. That is, if they say, okay, we're going to spin off this number of stores, we're going to spin off 
this number of factories or production facilities. We're going to license our intellectual property. If they propose these kinds of quote-unquote fixes for these mergers, the agencies have tended to say, okay, great, you're good, you can do it. These so-called fixes, these divestitures, when they're actually put into practice in the real world, often fail, and they often do not replace the competition that is lost in, you know, in these deals. There are examples of that throughout industries, and certainly uh, in the supermarket sector, uh, there's been a pretty checkered history of these kinds of divestitures actually working. Tell me the story of when Albertsons acquired Safeway. It was a merger quite like the one that we're looking at now, where there were all of these overlaps around the country. And in, in, and in a lot of places, there would be some really significant competition loss. So in some places, they would go from three supermarkets to two or even from two to one. So the companies told the Federal Trade Commission, look, we're going to solve this. We're going to sell off a bunch of these stores to a third party. We're going to help them run these stores. We're going to help them get up and off the ground. And we're going to replace that competition that's going to be lost. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. And the Federal Trade Commission looked at the deal and said, uh, okay, sure, why not? We'll, we'll buy it. So they sell off all these stores to a third party, this other quite small regional supermarket chain called Hagen's. And a few months go by, and these stores struggle mightily to the point where Hagen actually has to declare bankruptcy. Hagen ends up suing Albertsons in federal court. Hagen is suing Albertsons for a billion dollars. Hagen bought more than 100 stores from Albertsons earlier this year, including seven here in Southern Nevada. But they say Albertsons lied about pricing data and hacked into Hagen's confidential information. Hagen's and that were it not for, um, for Albertsons actions, Hagen's stores would have been fine and they would have been able to compete. So a lot of those stores get shuttered, some get sold back to Albertsons, and essentially all of the worst fears about that deal and its ability to, you know, to quash competition come true. And for consumers, it meant what? You know, consumers lost the stores. I mean, there are places um, now in, you know, in Colorado that had those stores close. These are in black and brown communities that have already suffered through disinvestment and other hallmarks of systemic racism. And now suddenly, uh, the one store that they relied on for their food has closed. And so it's been very, very destructive for a lot of communities uh, around the country. I think this store needs to be a grocery store. And I don't want to see it go away and not have any other options. That's what I want. Everybody knows uh, me um, uh, inside the uh, store, you know. I've been coming here for almost 17 years. Why do companies get away with this if, if history shows us this is what happens? Consumers get screwed. It's hard to upend a philosophy that's been in place and been driven by true believers for decades. And... The evidence of these things failing, a lot of the evidence of higher prices, of hollowed out communities, of abused suppliers and workers, didn't really move the needle for uh, the folks who were at the agencies during this time who weren't interested in those kind of results. And their interest was really in the philosophy that the government should take pretty much a hands-off approach, that the market's going to sort these things out on its own. 
the result is pretty clear, to, you know, to me today is that uh, an economy that's really dominated by monopoly power in a multitude of industries. And certainly supermarkets are no exception to that. At the moment, the four largest supermarket brands combined control almost two thirds of the entire industry. That is concentrated economic power. That is monopoly by our definition. And it's the kind of thing that will just get worse if this deal is allowed to go through. Lawmakers and regulators have spent much of the past several years asking whether tech companies are forming monopolies. One of the things that seems to happen in in these hearings is that the lawmakers sometimes seem like they don't exactly know what tech companies are or do or how they make their money. And really nothing has happened. No one, nothing's been broken up, right? Mark Zuckerberg is still Mark Zuckerberg. Arguably, this merger is a bigger deal because people have to eat. They don't have to be on Instagram. And I don't mean to be flip. I'm being literal. Do you think that this merger will get more scrutiny from Washington than we are used to seeing when the word antitrust or monopoly is being thrown around? I think it will get some significant um, attention uh, on Capitol Hill. And I think that's important. But moreover, I think it will get significant attention at the Federal Trade Commission. Look, Lena Khan, uh, who's the chair of the FTC right now, she just gave a keynote address at a conference in Utah, and she talked about what she thought and perhaps what the commission is thinking about these kind of corporate divestitures that are supposedly able to cure these problems in these big mergers, these big mega deals. And she said that, uh, and I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, but she said that the FTC is very concerned that sometimes these divestitures just don't actually fix the problem. And that in order to actually fix the problem, you just have to say no to these deals. Significant market consolidation deprives consumers, workers, and independent businesses of choice, further enabling dominant firms to engage in unfair practices. Market dominance often allows companies to renege on commitments, evade the law, and repeatedly violate commission orders. So, yes, I think Capitol Hill is going to pay attention. I think lawmakers should pay attention because this is crucial to lots and lots of people around the country. But moreover, I think the Federal Trade Commission um, is going to pay very close attention to this. And I think they will be very skeptical at this idea that the companies have put forward that they can just sell off some stores, fix this deal, and everything is going to be fine. Today's show was produced by Victoria Chamberlain and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. It was edited by Matthew Collette and engineered by Paul Robert Mounty. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained. 